0: Hello, this is Carsten Klein from Friedrich Nauern Foundation, and this is Connecting the Dots, a podcast series that tries to bring together voices from Europe and South Asia, to have a good conversation on the core values of liberalism and, of course, liberal way of life. We hope to capture the differing views, opinions, and understandings of all of you. Thank you, and have fun.
1: All right, uh, we'll start with a quick round of introduction, and then I'll ask a question to both of you. Hi my name is Soumya Chaturvedi I am a senior research
2: fellow with a New Delhi based think tank called India Foundation uh, I'm a lawyer by education have a background in IR and security and I've worked with the Ministry of External Affairs as a consultant
0: Hi my name is Alice uh, Alice Schmidt I'm from Germany and uh, I'm uh, I studied political science um, have a background in that international relations and uh, I'm very active in politics in Germany I'm I was uh, for 4 years a member of the Federal Board of the Young Liberals in Germany, which is the youth wing organization of the Liberal Party in Germany, the FDP, and they are currently governing um, in Germany. So they are a governmental party and we are lobbying in that uh, party for the issues of the youth. And I was part of the federal board as an international officer, so responsible for all our international relations.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much (laughs) for being here. Uh, Today's conversation is all about the G20 summit in the in India and I would like to start with a few questions. My first question to both of you is that in these times of growing nationalism, populism and inward-looking uh, uh, nativistic economic policies, how can an inter- international body like G20 protect globalization?
2: Thank you for that very interesting question. That actually uh, forms the very basis of uh, having multilateral organizations and the importance of them right now, uh, more than ever. Um, I think uh, it was not a phenomena that came now, but it was a phenomena of going inwards uh, that we started seeing sometime after the US elections, um, where we saw uh, President Trump uh, pull out of the Paris deal. Uh, That was, I think, one of the bigger shocks to the multilateral order because together the world it took a while for the world to come together and understand the importance of climate change Uh, but a country as important as America uh you know, going back, uh, that was a big jolt to multilateral order um, that was, again, then followed by uh, the little bit of incursions and geopolitical tensions that go on in the world anyway. Uh, then came the pandemic, uh, where I think the countries were forced to start looking more inward. Uh, but I think we did a good job uh, by, you know, making sure that there is an equitable distribution of vaccines. It's not that a country produced vaccines and said that until unless we don't, uh, you know, cater to our audience, we will not deal with the international market so of course there was a mix of both while we were also looking inwards we were also uh, you know reaching out to the world at large and for that matter every country did that but again now we have a geopolitical tension in hand uh, which is uh, forcing uh, countries to pick sides and uh, of course again there is a sense of siloed thinking Uh, there's of course uh, great efforts that are being taken to make sure that we do not completely go inward and we still go out and uh, you know collaborate with the world I think G20 um, comes at a very odd time. Um, Odd and interesting. We saw G20 uh, countries come together when the COVID pandemic happened. Uh, There was a a debt uh, restructuring that happened and that was one of the biggest achievements of G20 and this was just during the pandemic. So um, G20, because of the sheer... Uh, you know, participation of countries that it has. Uh, we have countries right from the G7 to countries from Global South, uh, be it India, South Africa, Argentina, um, and I think that brings a good variety to the mix. So, it, there's a huge responsibility on G20 today to make sure that the countries still look out for each other. Um, if we can briefly reflect on what happened in the Bali summit, um, that took place just a couple of weeks back in the month of November, uh... It was interesting to see that despite Russia's participation in the G20, there was also uh, President Zelensky who participated. So we still are talking about a multilateral order which is not completely, you know, gone to shackles. It still exists. There is a forum for dialogue. There is still a forum where uh, countries can come together and address. So I think G20 that way is important, but it's also at cross odds now. Because uh, uh, with India becoming the president, it also has to deliver successfully on its presidency, which would mean keeping the forum alive, which would mean keeping the uh, forum intact, uh, and yet navigate through the concerns of uh, all the countries together. So I think G20, that way, is well placed to do it because uh, it's an economic forum, it's not a political forum, uh, where the countries do talk about politics, but to the extent of economics involved in it. So I think, um, as opposed to uh, UNGA, uh, the General Assembly, or the Secretariat Council, which is more foc- or security council, sorry, which is more focused on uh, security and politics uh, issues. G20 is placed on economic issues and I think uh, that gives it an advantage to talk about multilateral cooperation because uh, we may deny this, but this we truly live in a very globalised world order and I think it would be underestimating it uh, by saying that we can actually go, go inwards. None of the countries can afford going inwards anymore. So I think G20 has a good task ahead for
1: itself. That's actually very enlightening and looking at uh, it from that perspective, I think there is not an inward-looking economy anymore. (laughs) You can't afford to have an inward-looking economy in my perspective. Do you have any comments on that, Alice?
0: Uh, yes, it's interesting that you said um, that it's, uh, on your view, an economic um, um, forum. Um, maybe that's also the big challenge about it and also what India will uh, put in, into that forum. Because um, in the current time, it's not anymore, in my opinion, possible uh, to be just on an economic view. Because um, especially what happened, what you described, um, after Trump and after the pandemic, time, um, people thought okay, that's a time backwards to the realistic view of international relations, but then it showed up that um, we didn't react on the war in Crimea, and um, that it became more um, but this became a big problem and which is now a worldwide problem and this is not an economic problem it's a value problem because russia is scared about their borders that the western countries are coming to 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 get their their values so then in my opinion it's in the end a political question how g20 will run and also india Um, at some point has to have a clear standpoint, but I think they did that during Bali. Um, I know that the German side especially appreciated um, India in their rule because they enforced um, the resolution in the end that condemned the war in Ukraine and this is new because India in the tradition is not very open-minded for such condemnation of one side and now they did. So maybe we see a shift also to a more um, um, a democratic view of an, an, a more valuable uh, view of the international relations and my big hope is that India will see also where they are coming from. India is a democratic country, a country for freedom and democracy and I hope that they will put that as a big focus in their G20 um, um, time and also put the voices of the poor countries on the first step and show them as a role model that a big country will with um, democratic values and freedom values can be as successful as also China is economically and that this is also a way for smaller countries and poor countries how to go I would just like to quickly reflect on what Alice said. I completely agree
2: with her uh, on the points. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is the way the the last G20 presidency sort of evolved as well. The country had determined its own set of, uh, you know, important areas for the country and for the presidency. And when the the situation broke out in Europe, um, very interestingly, they had to navigate through and incorporate issues that have economic consequences. So things like energy security, Uh, Food security, market fluctuations were very well part of the G20 Bali summit as well. So I I think um, uh, when I meant, uh, you know, taking away the political heat of things, it's not that you're turning blind eye to the economic consequences of those things. And G20 will have to address that. And I remember reading sometime uh, as early as April in this year when India for the first time actually said that energy security is going to be a big concern because of whatever is happening right now in Europe. And uh, I think that is exactly the biggest challenge that Indian G20 as well has, because you cannot uh, completely shun away or shun away the economic consequences of whatever is happening, because especially for a country which is from the global south and an emerging market, you cannot uh, turn a blind eye to the energy crisis that's happening, the supply chain constraints that are happening. And now coming to your question, which exactly um, I think also leads that way. Mm hmm.
1: And I think that leads perfectly to my second question, which is like COVID-19 restrictions, lockdown and the subsequent Ukraine war has posed serious challenges to our global economy. What do you think is the future of the global trade in that manner, supporting all the nations in general?
2: The future of global trade, I think, um, is again at a very interesting cross end right now. Uh, if there was one thing that the pandemic made us realize is that we really need exhaustive uh, supply chain mechanisms, very resilient supply chain mechanisms, and uh, they should be able to, you know, withstand not just uh, something as unforeseeable as um, as the pandemic was, but also the global geopolitical tensions because uh, the first bearing that they have is on global trade. And um, we spoke about how the globalized world order is today. So I think... Uh, Global trade right now, I think, is constrained uh, because of whatever is happening, the, uh, the prices of things will go up. Um, especially for the world, which is still grappling from the after effects of the pandemic, I think the the only thing that you did not want was another shock to the economy. And I think if it has not already happened, then it is just round the corner. Um, we are seeing that uh, because of the shortage in fertilizer supply, uh, uh, there will be food crisis next year. And I think uh, PM Modi also made this statement at Bali that the you know fertilizer shortage today is essentially inviting food insecurity for the next year, and you're talking about a country where uh, the global south is still grappling the most. Um, Imagine telling them that that you don't even have enough food to feed them. And that's all because we don't have enough fertilizers. So it's not something that you can artificially cater for. It is something that will have long-term consequences. So yes, global trade right now is very constrained. But I think this is also a very good opportunity for countries to actually diversify. Uh, For a very long time, I think the countries were very settled with the kind of networks that they had. um, And they were relying uh, too much on uh, specific countries. Uh, You know, pandemic was also the time when India realized that they depend on China for a large number of, you know, things that have strategic importance in different capacities. And uh, India decided to diversify. Um, There was a point in time when the largest chunk of um, oil to India came from the Middle East. Um, And then uh, because of, you know, the imported inflation that dollar brings in with itself, uh, it became too expensive for India. And that's when India realized that it has to start buying from other countries as well. So today, India is going to buy uh, from countries as far off as Canada. In fact, U.S. is a very important uh, shale uh, uh, oil and gas supplier to India today. So... um, I think this is a moment to diversify extensively, uh, to actually bring in countries that are thinking alike on a lot of matters to actually cooperate together. And uh, there is some momentum, but I think it's going to be a while before it actually picks up and people realize how important diversification is. Uh, there, is some, uh, there is some momentum, there's no denying that. There is some progress that has been met, but it's going to be a while before we actually end up uh, you know, getting
0: substantial benefits out
1: of it. Do you have any uh, comment on that?
0: I would totally agree, um, especially what you said on diversification. And um, especially um, if we are looking on the case of fertilizers, we saw that we have to push the resilience of the South and that they cannot be dependent on on, on the Western countries. And also the West has to ask itself whether it did everything to push the resiliency of the South. In my opinion, they did not, because they pushed um, the fail of the Doha um, negotiations, and so far what the poor countries requested from the West was still not reached. For example, if we look on the agricultural subsidies, we are paying a lot to our farmers so much that you cannot um, imagine how much it is. So um, And they have, the, have that money, have much more capital and investment and in the end we overproduce and send our overproduction to countries in the south, to, to Africa and um, they then have to compete with subsidized products and this is the case until today. And then we see, okay, now there is a situation where they are still dependent on, on our exports but we have the situation. Situation, that we are also dependent on, um, on, on, on dictatorships like Russia and China. So um, I think the West has to think about itself whether the old tradition that um, they thought that the trade will change the countries into democratic countries, that this was unfortunately wrong. Um, trade will not um, bring change it, it doesn't it, it's not always connected to, to to democracy and therefore you have to choose your, your trading partners very um, very well and especially India as a country that is democratic is in my opinion our first choice in South Asia and of course also all um, other uh, countries that are sticking to democratic values are our first choice and this is maybe also the way how we can um, be more um, authentic for for also the South and and poor countries um, to show that we also have to ask ourselves whether we did everything right in, in Western countries. Would you like to
1: say something about it? Because I think free yeah. trade, uh, we are talking about it for a while now, specifically with European Union. Do you have a comment on that? Uh, I absolutely agree
2: with Alice. And uh, in fact, even I wanted to uh, mention about the, uh, the WTO negotiations, which after a very long time actually resulted in something fruitful this year. So um, I remember reading somewhere that the actually the uh, ministers... Um, and the negotiators who had gone, they actually sat all night to make sure that they have an agreement by the end of it because, uh, you know, when everything is collapsing, you wanted a, uh, an organization to come out united on certain things. So I think that was a good achievement there that there is some kind of a uh, focus that we have to work together and only that's the way we can uplift each other. Um, I think also just like briefly uh, mentioning about uh, resilient supply chains, Um I think uh, very recently, again, in the uh, Bali Summit, PM Modi again pointed out very specifically that uh, supply chains are one of the biggest things that have been affected, and they are essentially the ones that are causing uh, the energy crisis and the food supply crisis. Um, I think maybe later somewhere we can also talk about how... If we do not diversify today, uh, you know, we will be walking into a world which will be dependent on, say, renewable energy. Maybe let's be utopian about it. Let's be optimistic about it that maybe 20 years down the line we'll have a world which has which is running on clean energy. But will then would you want a cartelized world again? Would you want one country to be monopolizing the prices? Clearly not. Today we see that a lot of these minerals, which are important for you know capturing renewable energy, are being imported from Africa, taken to China, and that's the only place which is coming out with resilient batteries. You know, imagine walking into a world where the battery supply for the world is coming only from China. Then again, it, it's going to be a serious cause of concern because then they can manipulate the prices, and if the world is relying on renewables we have no option but to buy it from them. So I think uh, it's important that the world works together now with a vision of at least 20 to 30 years down the line because uh, you don't want to fall in the same traps that you have been fallen now. So.
1: I think G20 is the place to discuss all of that, to be honest, and come up with a solution where actually we can diversify all our resources management for the future. And I, that leads to my... Third question, which is multilateral bodies like G20, they are relevant now more than ever. So, uh, even when the, uh, wait, I'm sorry, I missed the question. So, can they also lead to protect the democratic values of the countries which are becoming for example, let's say China, they are becoming a little bit autocratic and they are becoming authoritarian. So, is there a possibility that G20 summits can also give the platform to discuss not only economics, but politics as well? Um,
2: Just just quickly, I think uh, that that'll be very tricky in a G20 setup, because if you understand the participation of the G20 members, not every country there is a democracy. Uh, We've got, uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia is a very well part of the G20. Uh, They have their own uh, national political systems. Then, of course, we've got uh, different countries with different kinds of, uh, you know, political setups. They're all not democracies there. So I think uh, talking about just democratic values and being protected in G20 might be a little narrow of an approach. Um, there's an interesting contrast that I think we need to keep in mind that uh, of course G7 is far more successful of an organization that's because um, the G7 countries they converge uh, on a lot of value systems and points up until it was G8 uh, with Russia in it there was still you know uh, some kinds of frictions here and there but once Russia was out of um, G7 because of their Crimea annexation um, G7 became a lot more cohesive Uh, You're talking about countries that are actually uniting on a lot of policy decisions internally as well. So, for them to deliver effectively is relatively easy. Uh, But when we talk about G20, we're talking about countries with a wide array of, uh, you know, democratic, uh, sorry, political setups. We're talking about uh, histories and legacies that run into thousands of years and it's difficult to sometimes comprehend why is the position that they are taking. So, um, I wouldn't say that G20 is rightly placed to talk about democracy because, I mean, the very participants of them are not democratic countries, all of them. So, well, keeping that aside, um, it's important to see how is it that they are perceiving the world order. I think if they become uh, aggressive or if they become offensive, that's where we'll have to uh, draw our lines and understand that G20 is very limited. But I think so far, uh, the fact that it has evolved for so many years, despite their political differences, G20 every year has been delivering at least a successful presidency, if not a successful initiative. Um, I think that that speaks for the idea of the 20 nations to actually work together on common goals. So um, I think G20 that way continues to be relevant. Uh, but with a limited mandate. I'll be very sceptical if they'll be successful in talking politics because uh, they come from very different areas. And I think most countries would stick to saying that uh, they have UNSC or the UNGA to talk about these matters. And if politicization of G20 happens, then uh, delivering a successful multilateral order would be difficult. Hmm. What do you think, Alice? Hmm.
0: I think I I would all in all agree, but still be a little bit more optimistic about the democracies in the background. Maybe we don't see everything, but my hope would be that there are very deep connections before the um, G20 meetings are happening and that the, the allies are stronger than ever before and I feel like when we look on Bali, there was somehow a political sign of it because when we look on Russia's role there um, Putin was not there it was Lavrov and Lavrov had a very isolated role. We all know that photo where he's sitting in his hotel and watching on his uh, computer with a strange t-shirt and this is a very awkward view and, and I think it's not something just shared in in democratic countries but all con- countries so okay Putin is not coming he's sending Lavrov because they feel that they are different now because they have a different rule and, and I hope that this sign shows that maybe what you said aggression is the one point that unifies all those countries even though they are not democracies they are also having the same opinion that aggression is not the the right way, and even China um, was very, um, was also on on that side, so that's an interesting point, and the US had also longer discussion with Xi Jinping, and which also showed that the point of aggression is the one point where they all agree, and this will be especially interesting, how India will manage to keep Taiwan also safe, so that whether China will stay on that point, that they are um, condemning aggressions. Mm. But let's see whether that works also in in China itself, right? Right. No, absolutely. I agree with that. I think um, what's
2: also interesting so far to see is that uh, within the G20, um, of course, the G7 is far more united uh, in their approach, even when they come to G20 meetings. Um, the emerging market economies, on the other hand, uh, they struggle sometimes because the global south is not that cohesive as of yet. So uh, I think that can be an important point where within the G20 countries with similar value systems, um, can they also find convergences in ways uh, where they can effectively deliver a certain point, which might be little more uh, you know which might ask one country to give up a little more, uh, but maybe even the value systems can bring countries together. Uh, I don't think it has been explored yet, but I hope uh, India can do that. If not openly, then at least behind the closed doors, it can reach out to like-minded nations for support on certain initiatives and policies.
1: Do you think that G20 nations have their own agenda, have their own um, um, political, not political, but economical agenda behind these G20 summits? Are they also thinking about the other countries in the world? Or is there a possible way to include more countries when it comes to uh, the global economy because we are talking about world trade here and we are talking about global economy and at the same time there are only 20 countries talking about it. Do you think we are missing out on some countries? Is there a possible way to include them? I
2: think that's a very interesting question. You know, what generally happens is when we talk of G20, we think of 20 members only. But um, there's one very interesting uh, uh, part of the G20, uh, the grouping as such, where there are a lot of invitee countries uh, to every presidency. And um, generally, uh, the countries try and make sure that these countries are presidents of certain forums. So, the president of the African Union also participates in the G20 meetings. Um, Generally, Spain is a permanent invitee to this. We've seen Netherlands come across. We've seen uh, participation of UAE on a number of forums. Uh, We see a lot of small island nations participating as well. So, uh, you know, PNG at some point in time was also part of the G20 presidency. So, it's not that uh, G20 completely, you know, uh, turns a blind eye to countries beyond. Uh, but of course, because it's an economic grouping of a certain historical legacy, it does not go from being a G20 to a, say, a G22 or a G25. But every year, uh, there are countries from other parts of the world. And th- there's a special, I think, uh, focus to make sure these are countries from global south. Because uh, they are the ones who lack avenues to, you know, raise their voices or concerns about uh, their domestic issues, so I think there is a fair representation, although it's not permanent in its nature because, you know, the chairs also rotate within these uh, uh, organizations. So, um, having said that, I think I'd also like to briefly reflect on the priorities of uh, these countries and um, alike. So I think uh, when I last analyzed, I think these countries actually bring about a fair mix of bringing in things that affect the world. But they also in one way or the other try to, um, you know, push certain agendas which are uh, domestic to their existence. So say um, a country like Japan, it brought in the uh, ocean initiative, which I think a country probably, you know, uh, maybe a country like India may not have taken it up because we we don't talk about ocean that seriously, although we should be. Um, likewise, uh, I remember Argentina, um, was it Argentina, one of the Latin American countries, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the name, I think. Uh, they brought in the issue of uh, child obesity to the G20 agenda because it was very, very intrinsic to their system. Um, likewise, we see uh, Italy, they brought in the issue of intermediary cities, which is something that is, um, I think it's it's more uh, of a concern to a society like Italy than maybe, say, a country like India. Um, so th- there are times when countries do bring in issues that affect them the most. Uh, because they're also wanting uh, G20 to be a forum where they can highlight their concerns as well on an, on an international level and uh, seek expertise. Uh, but um, they also do bring in issues that affect the world at large because, you know, you're talking about bringing at least 20 to 30 countries on a consensus on a lot of things. And if it does not affect them, then I think you're ruining a lot of economic resources during the entire one year
0: of presidency. Um, I I think as you said there there are ways how to um, involve also the interests of other countries in it Um, my point would be more to maybe or my wish would be that in future um, in those G20 meetings you also um, put a focus on topics that were so far never mentioned there Uh, like for example feminist foreign policy, a totally new perspective. Um, Unfortunately so far it doesn't play a big role um, in in G20 but for many countries for example in Germany we put this as our um, leading, as one of our leading pillars. So currently our um, minister Minister of Foreign Policy, um, Annalena Baerbock, she's writing a policy paper that will lead her for her um, whole foreign policy and it will put a focus on the women's perspective. And I think this is something that has to be also there and that's maybe also a problem because if I looked on the table of people um, representing the G20, you still have a lot of men. And my hope would be that in future there would be a representation of half of the population of women also. Okay. So um, I hope what you mentioned okay. um, that every country we can choose somehow a focus that in future there will be one a presidency that chooses also a feminist foreign policy. Actually, I would uh, like to maybe add a little bit to that. Uh, Germany,
2: in fact, during its presidency, uh, I, I think it was in 2017, they actually brought in some very very interesting women-led initiatives. Um, I can actually recall three of them um, one of which actually ended up becoming a new engagement group uh, of new engagement slash working group for uh, the g20 as well it's called the g20 empower which is essentially uh, something between uh, women and business leaders. So there is something called Women 20, which looks at a lot of women issues within the G20. And there is B20, which looks at the business issues. But it was Germany which said that you need a separate forum, which talks about women in leadership roles, because it's only they who can, you know, or maybe they will play the most fundamental role in paving way for more women leaders in different capacities. So, I think I I completely agree. I think Germany has done some very, very good initiatives uh, with regards to women empowerment. Um, And I I also agree that uh, of late, we have seen that the uh, idea of addressing women issues in G20 has actually evolved a little bit. Um, And uh, Germany, of course, deserves a lot more credit uh, than probably it has received so far uh, for its women empowerment initiatives. But even in with G, within G20, we see that there is an overall, uh, you know, cross-sectoral, cross-cutting idea of women empowerment. But it's been a while that anything concrete was delivered on that front from G20 as well. So I think maybe this is also a good time to reflect how the countries can come together and push that agenda within the, you know, larger G20 discourse also.
1: Do you think in India, do you think we can do it? Is Um, there a hope somewhere?
2: So uh, the the Prime Minister definitely highlighted it, uh, that women empowerment is something that will be important. And I think uh, it's it's an agenda that's close to his heart as well. Uh, India has done good uh, when it comes to talking about financial literacy for women or women protection, uh, a global South with a fairly, you know, traditional uh, sort of a mindset of the country. Sometimes it's difficult to push certain things. Uh, But I think India has come a long way in that. And it is definitely the agenda. Uh, in the domestic, uh, you know, set of framework and poli- policies. So I'm pretty sure women empowerment will be a topic uh, for India as well. Um, how far does that imagination lead them is something that we'll have to probably wait and watch. I, I really hope, given that uh, our, our Minis- women, Minister for Women uh, Affairs in India right now is also very active, uh, I really wish that we can deliver something concrete as Germany did.
1: Do you think... Uh do you have any kind of hopes per se or uh, like requests when it comes to India's presidency? What do you
0: think India should bring to the table in your mm-hmm. perspective? So um, my fir- or I have two big things. The first one is um, that I hope that India will make the voice of the South very strong. And also um, make a point uh, in front of the Western countries to make them think about themselves, and uh, whether they did in the past the right alleys or whether they should also um, renegotiate their own focus. And my second point, which which is a personal wish, would be again the thing about the the value of democracy and freedom, um, especially with India's role um, in democracy. Um, diplomacy as a balancing factor. I would wish that they, in the end, would think about um, what happened with Russia during the last thirty years. How they moved towards China. How now they are cooperating. Um, so I, I hope that India will see that as a danger for itself. Also that Russia changed its its ways, and that therefore India has to see the 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 uh, ally of of uh, democracy and free countries as it's a lie and that there is the future for India and not anymore in a very close relationship to, to Russia because Russia became an ally with China, in my opinion. So um, I feel that um, India should be part of the of that democratic community and I hope that they will push this forward. Being in a very tricky geopolitical situation
1: as we are in Do you think we have, uh, in a way, uh, precedence to set in the next G20? What would you like India to bring to the table? Uh, So one, of course, I think
2: uh, topmost priority should be to bring back the faith in the multilateral order. I think... uh, Today, uh, the world is highly divided. Um, clearly, the aggression should have stopped by now, if it, uh, not earlier. So I think um, bringing back just the hope in multilateral order and just to believe that no, we are not dividing is something that uh, India must deliver on. Um, what's interesting also was to see that uh, if you look at the documents that came out of the Bali summit, um the there were only two sort of declarations one of course was the leader's declaration Uh, the other came in sometime around 17th of february which was a communique from the finance track every other meeting resulted in a chair summary. Generally, these end in ministerial declarations, which means that the countries have also made their point that they will not agree on things. But of course, because they want the G20 to be relevant, they will deliver on a leader's declaration. So I think India should try and make sure that it you know, brings back um, the, the, the format of uh, ministerial declarations, the format of agreements back on table, um, which would also mean to convince 20 countries uh, on, you know, agenda issues uh, on paper and not just, uh, you know, as background voices where they say that, yes, we agree, but we will not sign the paper. So I think uh, that's something that India must deliver on. And if India can't, then I think it'll become a legacy of G20 and make it defunct eventually where, you know, it'll become a talk shop where you come and you talk, but you can't deliver at the end of the day. So I think one, of course, is that. Second, I think... uh, As the voice from Global South, as uh, Alice also pointed out, India should deliver big time on climate change because, uh, you know, generally the allegation is that the developing countries don't want to meet uh, their set of, uh, you know, measures that are necessary or they don't want to meet their commitments. Um, But I think India has made it amply clear that uh, it stands with climate change, where even the Prime Minister gave out uh, the 2070 uh, timeline for India to phase out uh, carbon emissions. So um, I think this is a good time to bring Global South together, to own up the responsibility that the world is not going to be any environmental friendly if the Global South does not cooperate. This, of course, requires uh, the developed nations or the global north, if we can say, to deliver on their promises of green finance and technology. But uh, I think India can lead, if I can say that, from at least the global south voice and say that, no, we are also on table, let's work this out together. So I think uh, that can be a good legacy that India can leave behind.
0: Thank you. Do you have anything? Yeah, it's uh, interesting what you're saying because uh, Germany is, uh, of course, funding development aid. Um, I don't know whether it should be called development aid, but they still call it in a very classic way. And they pay money to, to China because China is still declaring itself as a developing country because it brings them, I mean, you know it maybe better than me, but it brings (laughs) them advantages on an international (laughs) level. And therefore, they are telling everyone that they are still a poor developing country and that they need all the support other countries um, are, are getting. And then I think a country like Germany should have a clear standing point and say, no, this is not a developing country. We'll take away the money, and they still did not. We'll take away that money and invest it in in democratic countries like here in the South um, to to push their um, sustainability and to help them to, how you explained, develop um, sustainable um, energy resource management. So um, I think also there has to be a rethinking um, about... how, peop- how countries declare itself and where we invest our money due to that declaration. You
2: know, I'll just add to that. I remember reading a statistic some time back that um, you've got a lot of these multilateral development banks, right? I sh- I hope I've gotten the name right. Right. Um, the amount of money that they give out to the African Union is not even 20 to 30 percent. Sometimes it's as low as 5 percent. So, it's sometimes it's also shocking to see that where is this money flowing in, if not to the poorest of the poor, even in the global south. So, uh, I'm sure there is a need for redistribution of, uh, you know, however these grants are flowing in. Uh, Before that, what we need is probably to acknowledge that I think Global North and South both have defaulted in their own ways. And it's important to bring them on, to, uh, on the table together so there is a more equitable uh, you know, distribution of how these grants are flowing in, how these helps and these assistance are flowing in, how the technology is flowing in. And I think uh, India is fairly placed well to take up these issues
1: i think we have a lot of rethinking relearning unlearning and discussion to do uh, in the next presidency of india thank you so much if you have any key takeaways from our conversation i would really like to hear that and uh, i would really like to thank you it was very enlightening for me uh, i i'm not very i'm not an expert in this i've just read it on the papers i've read it in the courses in the school but yeah this this was another takeaway from me uh it was an actually very enlightening session with that two women experts so thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having uh, at
2: least I could say that I mean thank you Alice uh, for this very engaging conversation I think uh, India and Germany and India and Europe I think can go a long way in cooperating with a lot of things because I think uh, as Alice also said there is a lot of convergence in terms of the ideas in terms of the vision that uh, the two countries have for the world and even the way the way Europe is now perceiving uh, the world so I think there's a lot of potential of working together G20 will be just one uh, you know a feather in the hat if we actually pull off a good presidency here and uh, there's no way I think India can deliver without the help of the European Union for that matter so um, I think there is an interesting way ahead Uh, whether it be about women empowerment whether it be you know bringing in faith in the multilateral order or uh, you know just bringing in convergence on certain basic values that cannot be overlooked when you talk about uh, you know a harmony World order, so I think uh, yeah. Let's let's wait and watch what happens next year. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for having me here.
0: It was my pleasure. Yes, uh, thank you for your great um, moderation. And uh, my big key takeaway um, is that I'm optimistic about the Indian presidency of G20 due to persons like Sumya, who are deep experts, who have many topics on their agenda, and have a deep knowledge. And knowing that there are people like you in the background, um, I think that India has a great potential of leading it into the right way. So I'm very happy that India will have that possibility and have great people like Sumya in the background. (laughs) Thank you so much for those very kind words.